Merry Christmas. So great to see you today. What a special, special day this is. The, a day set aside to remember the Incarnation, to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His birth on earth. We also remember His life and His death and His burial and His resurrection and the hope of His return. If we please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. And when you find that, if you are able, please stand with me to read God's Word. On this day where we're going to remember Jesus, I want to, to point your attention to one person in particular whose example is worthy of imitating, and that is Mary. Mary. Uh, today is a special day, and it's a day where we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Born to save, born to rule, born to die an excruciating death so that we might have life. But this morning, I want to point out Mary, who believed and acted upon what God had told her. Mary, whose plans were turned upside down, whose life was redirected by God, and who rejoiced with a song that she sang in the presence of Elizabeth. And I want to take a running start. We're going to look at two verses today, but I want to take a running start at it and start at verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you that we can celebrate right here, right now, God with us, you with us, Emmanuel. 
We thank you, Lord, that you save, that you forgive, that you heal, that you restore. We thank you, Lord, that you give hope, that you give peace, that you give joy. We thank you, Lord, that we could be here today on a day set aside to remember Christ's birth. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your way with our souls, our hearts, our lives, our assembly today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated there. So, supersizing used to be the norm. And I'm sure some of you ate some supersized fries in your time. Nowadays, you can't get a supersized fry, can you? You've got to get like five little, fry, five little packs of fries to make the supersize. But supersizing used to be the norm. You don't have to think too far back when supersizing was what everyone was trying to do. Food, supersized meals, supersized portions. When I go out to eat, if you're eating with me, I'm looking at your plate seeing if I got more than you. Supersize. How about housing? Housing went through supersizing. There was a time when there was a demand for bigger and bigger rooms and dwellings. And so some of us have these really big rooms we don't know how we're going to fill up. Finances were supersized. Out of control spending and credit limits that got people in a lot of trouble. And of course it wasn't all bad. Uh, some people could say, hey, you know, supersizing is good. I, I, I want to supersize God. I want to supersize God in my life. I want to make sure he's, he's big. Um, you really have to think about that for a moment. Uh, you can't. Can you really supersize God? God is much bigger and much greater and much more glorious than we can even comprehend. But people do uh, try to supersize God to remind themselves and others about Christ's prominence. They erect large crosses like the one I, I like to speak of on I-40 in Groom, Texas. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Biggest cross west of the Mississippi. They also erect huge statues of Jesus. Supersized statues of Jesus. In fact, I, we did a little uh, checking and we found seven tallest statues of Christ in the whole world. And I, I realized first hour, and it's just too late to, to do anything about it, I, I put them in, the, in descending order. So it's going to start with the biggest one. So there's no buildup here, okay? Uh, we're going to start with the tallest one and then go a little bit down from there. Number one, Portugal. You've got the uh, Christ the King statue, 338 feet tall. A big, big statue. Indonesia, the, the Christ statue, 164 feet tall, second place. Poland, in third place, Christ the King statue, 140 feet. Bolivia, Christ of Peace, 132 and a half feet. Was at one time the tallest statue of Christ in South America. Uh, Mexico City has the Christ Resurrected statue, 131 feet. And of course, the, the Christ Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, probably the most famous, only 130 feet. And Vietnam, uh, the Christ of Vun Tau statue, almost 125 feet. You've got to have to wonder, does, does, does America have these kind of statues? And I know we've got the Touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame. Yes. And we've got, uh, there's, a, there's another statue I found at some church in, in the south that's a big statue of Jesus. But we do have the Biola Jesus. It's not a statue. It is a, a, uh, a mural on a wall. A big, tall statue of Jesus holding the word of God. The, the word of life holding the word of life. Uh, the living word holding the written word. Um, but supersizing is out. Now, there are not a lot of statues like this around the world. But they were made to, to remind people of how big God is. These are just... These are just miniature, minuscule uh, representations of the, how vast and big and great and mighty and glorious God is. Um, but downsizing is in now. Downsizing is in. And there are uh, a lot of people downsizing versus the excess that we saw in the not-so-recent American past of supersizing. And so, you know, times change and... From food to finances, things are now in smaller portions. And uh, how often do you hear people say this? You know, we're downsizing now. People, some people use it as a badge of honor, you know. Well, we're downsizing now, you know. It's just the common thing to do. 
Um, but we've all learned to live with less in recent years. And some people, could, you could say that's a good thing because it helps you think more of the important things. But there is less spending, uh, less building, less consuming, and it can do our souls some much-needed good. But the problem I've noticed, my own life and in observation, is that the trend has caught on in the spiritual realm. Nothing new, but a lot of people downsize Jesus. A lot of people minimize Jesus. A lot of people see Jesus as less than he really is. Um, and so there's this tendency, whether, whether intentional or not, to downsize him in our lives, to consider him as less than he is. And I, every Christian that I know, the ones I hang out with, want to follow Christ, want to magnify the Lord, as, as Mary sang in the, what is called the Magnificat. Um, but we, we all know how prone we are to wander from God. We all know how prone we are to leave the God we love. He is a covenant-keeping God. We can't keep covenant with Him. He is faithful. We are often faithless. And so we, we, feel, we feel the pressure of this, and we feel um, the fact that this happens, and, and people downsize Jesus to their own peril. They did it in the past. Before Jesus was ever born, people were downsizing him. Those who who spurned the prophets, those who killed the prophets, those who wouldn't believe what the prophets were saying about the coming Redeemer, about the coming Deliverer, the Messiah. After his birth, Herod, I think of Herod, the slaughter of the innocents, going and killing every baby boy in, in hopes of killing Jesus. During his life, uh, scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and all sorts of unbelievers rejecting him, repudiating him. After his death, the other thief on the cross who refused to believe, even in the face of death. And then even after the resurrection, one of Jesus' own, Thomas, says, I will not believe unless I put my fingers into the hole on your side and into the nail holes in your hands. People downsize Jesus now. I think we're all well aware of that. Where we live in our culture, the downsizing of Jesus is, is rampant. I mean, just you look at the current theological trends that are out there. Old heresies dressed up in new clothes. And it just... Um, it boggles the mind, but it happens and it's nothing new. People denying the deity of Christ. People denying uh, the authority of Scripture and the virgin birth and the substitutionary atonement and the bodily resurrection and the hoped-for return of Christ, the promised return of Christ. Those who are unbelieving, that are opposed to Christ, that are hostile to Christ, that are in, maybe even indifferent to Him. And he will just ignore him. But what I have found in my own experience and what I have seen by observation is that we who believe do it too. We have this tendency, but we do it differently. We do it more subtly, but there are ways we downsize Jesus. Now, you're not going to make Jesus really smaller than he is. But when we downsize Jesus, we, we don't acknowledge how big he is and how, how prominent he ought to be in our lives. I, I've got friends, uh, one notable one who, who says now, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't even believe he exists. But just because he says that doesn't make it true. So just because someone downsizes Jesus doesn't mean that Jesus really is smaller. <laughs> but how do we downsize Jesus? One of the ways we do it is when we deny his person and work. Uh, sometimes from the fear of man that brings a snare, being ashamed of the gospel, or more blatant anger with God. Many people have become accustomed to just lashing out at God because they say, hey, well, David did it in the Psalms. And it's true. David poured out his heart to God. David was honest with God, and so ought we to be. But w- just trace the Psalms. Where did it always take him? Where did God take David? Where did David always end up in the Psalms? in a very God-centered gospel place, in a good news place. He didn't stay in despair. We deny his person and work. We, we downsize him. 
The, the heart of idolatry denies the person and work of Jesus Christ as recorded and revealed in God's word. I know believers who do that. Worship freely celebrates and reveres and obeys the Lord Jesus Christ because he is worthy of worship. Other ways we deny, uh, downsize Jesus is when we, when we defy his lordship. When we, when we don't accurately depict his true glory. When we don't acknowledge him or obey him as Lord. When we say, yes, I read it in the Bible, but I'm not going to do it. And it's every time that you and I say the thing we know we shouldn't say or do the thing we know we shouldn't do and we're convicted by the Holy Spirit and we run right and do it anyway. And we know that's where we live. And we know that God is patient with us. But what happens is we minimize who Jesus is in our life. When we make our relationship with Him dependent upon how, how things work out for us, as long as it goes according to my plan, we all have ideas of how we want our life to, to work out, don't we? If you're young, people will say to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or, or they'll say, well, how do you envision your life in the next five years or ten years? Or, or what's your life plan? Map your life out. What would you like your life to be like? If you're older, people might be asking you, what are you going to do uh, to spend, how are you going to spend your retirement? What are you going to do in the last you know, 20, 30, 40 years of your life? What does it look like in your mind? What, what do you hope for? But as we all know... Our life never turns out the way we hope for. That picture in our mind. It's, it's like that destination that you hope for and plan for and you get there and it's not like the pictures. It's, it's not like the dream. But he is a worthy of obedience no matter what. We're going to see in Mary's life that here's a, a, a young woman whose life was drastically redirected and she bore it beautifully we, we downsize Jesus too when we, we disown our association with him much like Peter did I don't know him not with him don't know what you're talking about when we're afraid to speak his name or declare our allegiance or dependence upon him and we do it in our thoughts and our words and our actions that he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our trust. But praise God, there's always a glimmer of hope. God always has his remnant. He always has his people, his faithful remnant. There are always people that get it right. I know Christians all over the place who get it right. This room is littered with people who, who, who get it about Jesus. And it's, it's this way all through history. Before Christ's birth, there were people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and, and so many others that sinners, every one of them, but they served a great God. And they trusted that he was sending a promised deliverer. And so they were justified by grace through faith. In spite of their sin. After his birth, you've got shepherds Luke chapter 2. Shepherds are out in the field. They're doing their job. They're keeping watch over their flocks by night. We'd say, ooh, that, that sounds like a cool job. He's out in the countryside. People despise them. But God came to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel of the Lord said, Don't be afraid. Because I'm bringing you good news of great joy that is for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David. That's Bethlehem. It means house of bread. Bread of life was delivered. For you in the, in the city of David this day has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The promised one whom the prophets foretold. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law that he might redeem those under the curse of the law. They heard the angels singing, praising, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is, with whom he is pleased. And, and they said, let's go check it out. We've got to go see this. 
And they did, and they went away glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and saw. All as had been told them. Then there was Simeon. Jesus is presented uh, at the temple when he is eight days old. And here's this man, Simeon, that was promised to him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. God got it right for him. He said, now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. For the glory to your people Israel. There was Anna, this older woman who was a widow and she was, she was living to serve God. And at that very moment she comes up and she just speaks in praise of God with regard to Christ. People got it right. But during his life, when, during Christ's life, people magnified the Lord. Disciples who were not getting the whole picture yet, we're still getting what they could get. Believers, at his death, there were Roman centurions and onlookers and bystanders captured by grace. After the resurrection, there was Peter and Mary and James and John and so many others that were rejoicing that he was alive. They got it. They, they magnified the Lord. Even now, people worship Jesus appropriately now. It happens all the time. There are currently some really good theological trends going on. Upticks in Bible-believing Christians that are living and practicing their faith. Old heresies being exposed for what they really are because people aren't in the dark. God has given His people discernment and wisdom to know the difference. See, the more you know the Word of God, the more you know a fake when you hear it. But the believing of all ages are believing. Praise God. It's because we are kept by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Their faith and their resolve is growing. I like the way Kevin DeYoung put it. A new generation of Christians is being nourished by the doctrines of grace. Evangelical seminaries are full of young men passionate about theology, about biblical truth, about the glory of God. From blogs to church planting to conferences to book sales to new pastors to new people in our churches. He says, I believe the Spirit really has been at work in our day to give young people a grounding in the deep things of God. See, God wants us grounded in the gospel so that we might magnify Him. So that we might exalt in Him. Mary was grounded in the deep things of God. Mary was aware of his mercy and his grace. She was a wonderful example of a woman of faith. She expressed her response to God in a beautiful song. And it was a response to God expressed to Elizabeth in Elizabeth's presence. Much like we do when we praise God together. We encourage one another. We edify one another as we praise God in the the earshot of those who believe. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, she responds, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And then she says, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I I love those two verses. They're parallel verses. They, they, They go side by, they run like parallel train tracks. Side by side, Mary says the first, my soul magnifies the Lord. And then she says the second, my soul rejoices in God my Savior to strengthen the first statement. She's saying the same thing twice in different ways. My soul parallels my spirit. Lord, which stands for the name of God, Yahweh, the God of covenant, parallels God my Savior the one who promised, who will deliver his people, who will redeem his people. But I love the verbs the most here. The verbs are the most interesting here. Magnifies is parallel with rejoices in, exalts. What does it mean to magnify God? I mean, you might have a magnifying glass with you today. It might be on your iPhone. I don't know, is there an app for a, a, is there a magnifying glass app on a droid or an iPhone? I don't know. 
Well, what does it mean when we magnify something? If you use a magnifying glass, you're all going, how could this be? Could it, could it really? Could I, could I make one of those? Um, how, how could it be that you magnify the Lord? Because there's magnifying glasses. You could think of it that way. Um, but a magnifying glass increases the apparent size of something, actually supersizes it, makes it bigger than it really is. So it can't be that. How, how so? How, how isn't God already as big as he can get? Well, what, what does it mean to magnify the Lord? I like John Piper's illustration. He uses two common things, a magnifying glass and a telescope. Well, magnifying glass makes things bigger than they really are. A telescope takes something that is immensely bigger than we can imagine and comprehend, but we only see a tiny speck of, and it brings it a little bit closer to its real size to us. That's the way we magnify the Lord. Star, being, think about it, a star. So huge, right? Uh, beyond our comprehension how big it really is, and it appears to us as a little tiny little speck, a little bit of light. The telescope makes it appear a bit larger to us, thus it makes it more like its real self. Just so with God. So when we magnify God, we make him look more like he really is. Think about this. In this world, in our culture in which we live, God appears small and insignificant to so many. But we magnify him and still fall far, far short of showing all the glory to those around us. There's a parallel between magnify and rejoice, and it shows that Mary magnifies the Lord through her joy. There's a big idea here. Joy. Think about it. She went, what if she went along with God's plan and said, well, I'll go along with it. I don't like it. It's just my cross I need to bear. What if she complained throughout her pregnancy? She would be minimizing him, not magnifying him. What if she said, you know, all I want to do is live a quiet life. I just want to tend to my own business. I guess I'll do this, but all my plans are out the window. She would be minimizing him and not magnifying him. That attitude would imply that her plans were more important than bearing the Messiah, but that's not what she did. Instead, she sees that God has lifted her out of the mundane and given her a great job to do, a great ministry. He's given her great grace for that task. He planted this baby in her womb, and he's going to do all that is necessary to enable her to fulfill her role, and so she rejoices. Her soul magnifies God. She shows that God is her all and all. That's what God wants us to do. To see him as he truly is, or more like he really is. So, how can we guard against downsizing? Because we know that's the inclination of our hearts. We know that's where we slide to. How can we magnify the Lord? I'll give you three things. You know, pastors give you three things, don't they? No poem today. I'm a poet, but I'm not going to give you a poem today. But there's three things I'm going to share with you. But before I say that, I just want to tell you, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. I've always wondered what you look like on Christmas morning, and now I know. <laughs> you look awesome. You get all, I, I always wonder what you do on Christmas morning, and I know now. You get it dressed up in your finest. And you look great. But, uh, and, and, and in this very serious way, thank you for being here. Uh, I was so excited to wake up this morning because I got to preach on Christmas. First time I ever got to preach on Christmas. In a church. And uh, 10% of the churches are closed today. 10% of Protestant churches, a great article in the Wall Street Journal this week, 10% of Protestant churches closed up today. And one of the bottom lines of the article writer, the writer said was, uh, don't complain about Christmas not being treated as holy if you're all going to shut down. Now, no indictment against any churches that chose something else or people that couldn't make it. But thank you for, for being here. I, I'm, I was really excited today to spend Christmas with you. I don't usually get to do that, do I? You don't usually get to spend Christmas with all your friends here. So doesn't it just expand 
this Lord's Day that we are rejoicing in, it expands the Lord's Day because now we're celebrating even more, I don't know, even more pointedly the birth of Christ that we celebrate every week, every time we gather. How can we magnify the Lord? How can we do it? Well, number one, boldly acknowledge the truth about him. Boldly acknowledge the truth about him. That's what Mary did. Mary boldly acknowledged the truth about Jesus, about God. He is holy. He is mighty. Verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Well, that's, that's, that's big truth, isn't it? That's big truth to boldly acknowledge. Mary did that. God wants us to do that. But the spiritually blind, they see Christmas in pagan, materialistic secular ways and it wasn't that different back then with those who didn't believe but the spiritually short-sighted see christmas in stunted ways and i've seen the i've done it and the believing do it we 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 slice and dice well christmas is just about celebrating a baby and easter is just about celebrating the cross and the resurrection really we need If we're going to magnify the Lord and boldly acknowledge the truth about him, we need to remember not just these seasonal things, but that God's redemption program goes all together. Fits. And maybe one time we highlight one more than the other, but it's all in the same golden chain of the, the, the incarnation and the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the promised return of Christ all in the redemption program. And each one is, is, is like another facet on a, on, a, on a diamond. It's just brilliant. Boldly acknowledge the, the truth about him. We magnify the Lord the most when we remember his full redemption program. And you celebrate Christ's birth. Yes, do it with all your might today. Do it every day. Remember Jesus Christ, God incarnate, killed and buried and risen from the dead and soon to return. But in order to boldly acknowledge the truth about him, I'll tell you what we got to do. We got to minimize our intake of harmful influences. Now, I was sick last Sunday. I called, I called in an hour before church, called one of our elders, I called Mark and said, you need to preach for me today. Uh, I won't get too graphic, but I was on the floor of our bathroom. You don't want to see a picture of that. But let me just say that every bodily fluid in my body was gone. I was dry, dehydrated to the nth degree. I thought I had some bad lasagna. Not naming names, nobody in my family cooked it or served it to me, or my immediate family at least. Uh, but it wasn't that. <laughs> it was not that. It was the stomach flu, and everyone in my family except Ariana got it. It went, it went through us like a freight train. But let me just tell you every bodily fluid was gone, and I was dry. And I needed fluids, I needed to hydrate. I mean, I coach my kids in sports, you know that. I tell them, hydrate before the game, not when you get thirsty. Well, I was so, I actually drank, after I talked to Mark on the phone, four bottles of coconut water and still needed more. How does this tie in? You got to minimize your intake of harmful influences and then replace those with what is good. You've got to maximize your intake of what is good. Some kind of germ Hope I didn't get it from anyone here. But some kind of germ got into me and messed me up. Hopped over to all my other family members too. I don't know how we passed these around, but they did. So we had to, we had to quarantine ourselves, right? Get away from everybody that we wanted to hang out with. But then you got to maximize your intake of what is good. I wasn't eating Snicker bars all week. Wouldn't be a bad thing probably. Frozen one. I like frozen Snicker bars. Don't eat them anymore. Okay. Um, but you've got to maximize your intake of what is good. You've got to, you've got to review the basics often. You've got to get in the Word of God. You've got to remember often and tell yourself the truth. And remind yourself over and over again. Remind people you know of the truth that you know about Jesus. 
and stay focused on that true north in his word, among his people, engaged in life. You've got to read the word of God often and then think about it and remind yourself of it and get to the point where you say, Jesus is God and nothing less. Jesus is the God-man and nothing less. And he is worthy of my worship and he is worthy of my adoration. You know, I mag- you know when I magnify the Lord? I magnify the Lord when I expose myself to his word and when I receive it and when I internalize it and when I practice it and when I speak it and when I remind myself and others about it often and then let it have its way in my heart. And when I don't, I minimize him. Number two, how can we magnify the Lord? Well, we got to humbly accept his plan from him. That's what Mary did. Mary humbly and and joyfully accepted God's plan from him. Verse 38, Mary said, Lord, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Would that we could all just leave it at that. I am the servant of the Lord. And then she says, let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Would that we would just say that and leave it at that. No stipulations on God. Just, bold, just humbly and joyfully accept his plan from him. And, and Mary did that amidst all the coming misunderstandings. All the slanderous talk that would be spoken behind or in front of her. All the misunderstanding that was sure to follow. She treasured God's plan above her own. We, we downsize Jesus when we do not treasure him and his plans above our own plans. I like the way A.W. Tozier puts it. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him. Or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he has now, has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. We magnify God when we say he is worthy of my trust. I'm going to trust his plan and not my own. I'm going to treasure what he has planned out for me. See, I magnify the Lord when I, when I trust him and when I obey him. When I set aside my self-will for his perfect will. When I say no to the, to the temptation and the inclination to accuse and to curse and condemn people. And yes, to his desire to free and to bless and to forgive. I I magnify the Lord when I walk in wisdom, not foolishness. When I resist the urge to jump to conclusions and lash out, or if I do, to quickly confess it and repent of it. We've got to humbly acknowledge, humbly accept His plan from Him. That's what Mary did. Last thing, third, we've got to clearly identify ourselves with Him. You go to a new school, you go to a new workplace, you show up somewhere new and people don't know you, if you don't state your intentions and where you stand pretty early on, you're going to have a really hard time coming clean later. They're going to say, really? I did not, I never would have guessed. You're a follower of Christ. Wow. You know, Jesus, Jesus opens blind eyes. I don't know if there's anybody that's listening to this that's ever been literally blind and had their eyes opened. But we have all been blind. And God opened our eyes to the truth. And he wants us to share that truth with others. See, he illumines the darkness. He is the light of the world. He's a light that cleanses and, and reveals and strengthens that all he chooses to, to shine upon. He reveals the truth about himself. He reveals the truth about us. He cleanses us from sin's defiling effects. He grows his church as he sees fit. And here's what Jesus, the light, does. He makes lights of his chosen ones. He says, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The prophet Isaiah spoke, arise, shine, for your light has come. The light was going to shine on those 
who lived in darkness. And we are lesser lights. We are reflecting the glory of the true light that comes into the world, enlightening every man, as John 1 says. And as God illumines us, we shine like stars in the universe, one among many reflecting the glory of the true light. We've got to clearly identify ourselves with him. I magnify the Lord when I rest and abide and dwell and rejoice in him. And then when I pray and sing and speak and live to him. When I do all things in the name of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, joyously giving thanks to God the Father through him, I magnify him. When I don't, I don't. Individually, but also maybe most importantly, corporately. Mary sang this song in the presence of Elizabeth. Often because we are weak and burdened by sin's effects, the mileage begins to show and the cracks become evident and we are tempted to set the dimmer switch on low and we hide from the world and obscure the light of the gospel. When we do that, we hinder the work, we get in the way, we make it difficult for others to see the light of the gospel seen in the face of Christ, the glory of God seen in the face of Christ. But 1 John 1, 7 tells us when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. You look in the Bible, there's some key places. Colossians 1 is one of them. Colossians 1 speaks about about Christ's greatness, uh, about his his immensity. Um, Colossians chapter 1 and... uh, And in verse uh, 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's a huge picture of magnifying Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. Vast. Huge. There's other places, so many places in Scripture that show the, the glory of God in Christ. But daily living with its temptations, with, its, with our sinful choices, equates to the downsizing of Jesus in our lives and then in our households and then in the church. But what Mary did, wow, my soul magnifies the Lord and And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That rejoicing, it shows the key is the joy. That's the joy-filled Christian, the joy-filled believers, the fruit of God's spirit, love and joy. One of the, the, the signals, the signs that God is at work in the life of an individual, that their joy is present. But why is it? I've been thinking about this all week long, especially the last couple days. Why is it we're so prone to go in the exact opposite direction from joy in Christ? Why do we run the other way from God even when all signs point to our dire need for Him? And there's one one word, one, one answer. Sin. It robs joy. The very thing that ruined the relationship in the first place continues to threaten to undo us. God said it to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. And all I can say is this. If you have somehow, even unknowingly, been minimizing Jesus, downsizing Him, don't run away from Him. Go to Him. Run to Him. Praise God the right man is on our side. The Lord Jesus Christ. God has willed that His truth would triumph in us and through us. It is He, Matthew 1 says, who will save His people from their sins. 
And my absolute favorite times of the year are Christmas and Easter. I love the Christmas songs. The true ones. I love the Christmas songs that preach the gospel to me. I love the Christmas songs that are biblically accurate. I, I love that. Now, you know I've got five kids. Angela and I have five kids. And we, we try as parents to, to protect our kids' innocence. And, and that's a good thing. But you can't go very long in this world without realizing this is not a world of innocence. It's a world of guilt. It's a world of sin. It's a world of pain. It's a world of misery. You cannot read the Christmas stories and say, wow, that's like that Courier and Ives picture right near the fire. Good cheer and all that sort of stuff. You, you've got, you read the Christmas story and it's all about guilt and sin and, and pain and misery and God breaking into the middle of that with his joy, with his peace, with his hope, with his love, with his grace. My favorite Christmas songs capture in just a small part the wonder of the incarnation. That the eternal Son of God became a man for us and for our salvation. You read through the New Testament birth narratives and the dark backdrop becomes abundantly clear. The best Christmas songs bring out these sobering aspects of the story. How about these lyrics? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That's a Christmas song, and it's got the curse in it. But it's because he's coming to to rid us of the curse. How about this one? God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power. Satan's in a Christmas song. But it's because Christ came to save us from Satan's power. When we were gone astray. Oh tidings of comfort and joy. It's the very next line. Comfort and joy. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Sins, sorrows, curse, Satan, alienation, death. Doesn't sound much like holiday cheer, does it? But this is the context of the comfort and the joy of the Christmas announcement to Mary and to you and me. Bethlehem's star is, is only visible against the black sky of sin and death. And maybe this Christmas you are experiencing a darkness all your own. A prolonged struggle with some sin that keeps getting the best of you. The pain of a strained or broken relationship the cold reality of unemployment or cancer or death has stayed at your doorstep we recognize the depths of our pain and therefore we can see the depths of our joy when we hear the announcement that Christ is born Emmanuel God with us God with us is why we do not despair. God with us is why we have hope. God with us is why we, can keep, why we keep living. God with us. In Christ alone is our hope. This son, this child, this king, he was born to save. Let me just say this, and then we'll be, we'll be closed pretty much. Spackle and caulking is good. We just moved a couple weeks ago, and I've been using a lot of spackle and a lot of caulking. And I've got a new motto. Spackle and caulking covers a multitude of problems in your house. I was there preparing walls to paint, 
And I would see these big cracks or these holes or these gaps, and I would put the spackle or the caulking or that great stuff, stuff that expands to the best. But I wasn't doing it with a critic's eye. I was doing it because I wanted my family and the house to be, I wanted the family to like it and the house to be restored to its original glory. And so I would just see another and I would fill it in and, and see another and fill it in. Well, brought me, it made me think about 1 Peter 4 8. Here's what it says Above all, keep loving one another deeply, earnestly, because love covers a multitude of sins. Just like spackle and cock. This, this child, this son, this king was born to save, to restore. He doesn't look at you with a critic's eye. He looks at you with a restorer's eye, with a, with a loving restorer's eye and says, I want you whole. I want you whole again. I want you back this child, this king, this, this savior was born to rule. We, re- we read it. The, the, the angel told Mary, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. God's going to give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom's not going to end. Therein lies our hope. We don't have to despair. We can live. He was born to rule. So may the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. May the Lord Jesus Christ be magnified. And if you're a believer today, you know why you could wake up this morning and magnify your Lord and Savior? Only because you are kept by the power of God, 1 Peter chapter 1, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice. Though even now you are burdened with many sins. Even now you are drugged down by many sins, but you can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, Psalm 34 says, and let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you that when we are filled with you, we magnify you. Praise you, Lord, that Christ brings joy so that we would want to magnify you. And we know that magnifying Christ leads to, to joy and from joy. And, and, and magnifying you is the heart's response to, the, to your glorious goodness. And, and Lord, praise you. we praise you that the way to guard against downsizing Christ is by rejoicing in him. And we thank you that joy appears when Christ appears and saves, and restores, and heals. Lord, give us more joy. Give us your joy, Lord. It only comes from you. It's the anti-downsizing agent we need. We thank you that joy magnifies you. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of great joy that transcends all circumstances. For to us is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that joy filled Mary's soul even when a sword would pierce her heart. Thank you, Lord, that heaven awaits. Thank you, Lord, that you, for the joy set before you, endured the cross, despising its shame. Thank you, Lord, that you wrote what you wrote in your word so that our joy may be full. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.